Hello, everyone. It's Eves checking in here to let you know that you're going to be hearing two different events in history in this episode. They're both good, if I do say so myself. On with the show. Welcome back to This Day in History class, where we reveal a new piece of history every day. The day was May 4th, 1919. At around 1.30 in the afternoon, about 3,000 students from universities in Beijing gathered at the gate of Heavenly Peace in Tiananmen Square. They were protesting the Versailles Peace Conference, which gave German rights over Shandong, an eastern Chinese province, to Japan. The demonstrations marked a peak in the May 4th movement, an intellectual revolution and socio-political reform movement in China. In 1914, Japan seized control of Shandong from Germany. The next year, Japan issued a set of demands known as the 21 Demands that would extend Japanese control of Manchuria and the Chinese economy. The demands called for China to recognize Japan's seizure of German spheres of influence in China. Facing the threat of war, Chinese President Yuan Shikai accepted most of the demands to appease Japan. This appeasement was not well received by many Chinese folks. An anti-Japanese sentiment grew in China. On top of that, the warlord era that began in China after Yuan's death in 1916 caused much social and political strife. The new culture movement also helped build the foundation for the May 4th movement. New Youth, established by Peking University professor Chen Duxiu, was a monthly magazine that promoted ideals like science and democracy while opposing some traditional Chinese ideals and Confucian values. Intellectuals who were inspired by New Youth began advocating for reform and denouncing parts of Chinese heritage. They uplifted notions of nationalism, liberalism, and socialism. They also suggested a new vernacular writing style that would replace the classical written Wenyan Chinese. In 1917, China declared war against Germany. China joined the war on the side of the Allies, under the condition that it would get back all German spheres of influence, including Shandong. The Allies were victorious. But when the Treaty of Versailles was drawn up in 1919, Shandong was given to Japan. This controversy became known as the Shandong Question, or Shandong Problem. And the Chinese public was upset about that transfer of rights. Students at Beijing University drafted a manifesto, written by Luo Jialin. It said, in part, This is the last chance for China in her life-and-death struggle. Today we swear two solemn oaths with all our fellow countrymen. First, China's territory may be conquered, but it cannot be given away. Second, the Chinese people may be massacred, but they will not surrender. Our country is about to be annihilated. Up, brethren. Opposed to the Chinese delegation's actions at the Paris conference, a coalition of student groups decided to hold a demonstration on May 7th. But when the news about Shandong broke, they decided to act quickly. So on May 4, 1919, representatives from several student organizations met at the Peking College of Law and Political Science to plan the demonstration. They settled on five resolutions, which were as follows. 
Telegrams would be sent to all interested and involved organizations domestically and abroad, asking them to protest the Shandong Resolution. They would educate the Chinese masses about what was happening at the conference. A centralized organization of all student groups would be established for organizational and administrative purposes. And finally, the route for the demonstration that afternoon would start at Tiananmen Gate and move through the business area of the city. That afternoon, thousands of students from 13 universities gathered at Tiananmen Square. They passed out flyers that said China would not concede Shandong to Japan, and they called for the Beiyang government not to ratify the Treaty of Versailles. The students marched to the legation quarter in Beijing, where the foreign embassies were located, and presented letters to foreign ministers. Diplomat Cao Rulin's house was burned down. The next day, the student protesters in Beijing went on strike, and students elsewhere in China followed. Students also boycotted Japanese goods. Several students were harmed or died in the demonstrations, and more than a thousand were arrested. In early June, somewhere around 100,000 industrial workers in Shanghai went on a week-long general strike. The workers began demanding higher wages and better working conditions. Facing the pressure of all the protests, the government finally gave in. The entire cabinet resigned, the government released student prisoners, dismissed pro-Japanese officials, and refused to sign the Versailles Treaty. But Japan still had control of the Shandong Peninsula. China signed a treaty with Germany in 1921, and in 1922, Shandong was returned to China. As part of the deal, Japanese residents living in Shandong got special privileges. The anti-imperialist May 4th movement is seen as a turning point in Chinese intellectual thought. Literature using vernacular Chinese emerged. The nationalist Guomindang Party was reorganized. Mass meetings were held throughout China for the common people, and partly because the Chinese viewed the Shandong problem as a betrayal by the Western powers, they turned away from ideals of democracy and toward communism. Chinese political movement became more radical. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. Thanks for showing up. We'll meet here again tomorrow. May the 4th be with you. Hello, everyone. I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History Class, a podcast that brings you a new nugget of history every day. The day was May 4th, 1886. A peaceful labor demonstration in Chicago turned into a riot after a bomb was set off. In the U.S. in the late 1800s, industrial capitalism was on the rise, and working conditions were poor. Tens of thousands of workers died in workplace accidents every year between 1881 and 1900, and workdays were often 12 to 14 hours long, six days a week. Unions, formed to protect workers' rights and interests, were also on the rise as more people took jobs in factories, mines, and mills. Factions of socialists, communists, and anarchists were linked to the labor movement. The National Labor Union, founded in 1866, pressed for labor reforms like the eight-hour workday. It dissolved in 1873. 
The Knights of Labor began as a secret organization in 1869, but once it abandoned its secrecy a decade later, membership grew quickly. By the 1880s, strikes organized by labor unions were commonplace. In 1884, the Federation of Organized Trades and Labor Unions, the predecessor of the American Federation of Labor, passed a resolution saying that a legal workday would be eight hours beginning May 1, 1886. Since legislative action had failed to help them achieve this goal, the resolution called for a general strike. Chicago emerged as a national center for the eight-hour movement, as the city's mayor, Carter Harrison, was sympathetic to labor issues. During his time in office, he saw a lot of labor unrest, and he often restrained police from intervening in strikes. Despite the fact that many labor leaders opposed strikes, thousands of workers participated in strikes and rallies across the U.S. on May 1, 1886. In Chicago, the general strike started off as peaceful, but on May 3rd, a strike at the McCormick Harvesting Machine Company plant turned violent. When strikers clashed with strike breakers, the Chicago police fired on the crowd, killing or wounding several of the demonstrators. In response to this incident, labor activists called for a rally the next day at Haymarket Square. Mayor Harrison attended the rally on May 4th, where labor activist August Spees and anarchist Albert Parsons were some of the people to give speeches. Somewhere between several hundred and a few thousand people were in the crowd. Harrison declared that the rally was not a threat, but police officers remained nearby. By the time the Methodist preacher and labor activist Samuel Fielden began to speak, the weather was getting worse and much of the crowd had already left. But near the end of the rally, a group of officers showed up to disperse the crowd. An unknown person threw a dynamite bomb near the police, and the police began to fire into the crowd. In the chaos that ensued, seven officers and around four workers were killed. It's been estimated that at least 100 people were injured in the Haymarket riot. The incident triggered anti-labor and anti-immigrant sentiments. That August, eight men were sentenced to death or time in prison for the bombing, even though no solid evidence linked them to the incident. The press depicted the men as violent anarchists. Some people condemned them as radical, while others viewed them as martyrs. Three of the men were later pardoned. People also began to blame the Knights of Labor for the Haymarket Affair, associating the organization with violence and anarchism. Membership in the Knights declined as workers began flocking to the American Federation of Labor. The labor movement continued to advocate for the eight-hour workday. Different industries reduced working hours until the New Deal's Fair Labor Standards Act provided for a 40-hour workweek in 1938. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any suggestions for the show or any other comments, you can hit us up on social media. We're at T-D-I-H-C podcast. You can also send us a note via email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.